Thanks, Pastor. Really appreciate the opportunity to be with you all today. Hello to everyone out there in your kitchen, your living room, wherever you are, however you're dressed. I doubt anyone put on a tie today. I'm guessing some of you in your pajamas. It's not a time to be freaked out. Uh, as I was preparing, I, I came across something that Luther wrote in a pamphlet in 1527, and he's answering the question, whether one may flee from a deadly plague, and he concludes his pamphlet in closing, we admonish and plead with you in Christ's name to help us with your prayers to God so that we may do battle with word and precept against the real and spiritual pestilence of Satan in his wickedness with which he now poisons and defiles the world. He gave advice in his pamphlet about what we should do when a plague comes to our city. In 1527, uh, the Black Death, or I believe it was actually the Bubonic Plague, came to Wittenberg. Something like 80% of the people died. It was a terrible plague. And uh, some preachers of the gospel wrote to him to get his advice, should they flee from their town when the plague came to their town. And he said sometimes it is appropriate to, pl to flee. We, we should take necessary precautions. We should listen to the doctors, we should uh, protect ourselves and our loved ones for sure, but ultimately we need to trust God and ultimately we need to minister to those who need ministry. We need to be with the sick, we need to help them. Luther himself had several sick people in his house with the bubonic plague and by God's grace he didn't get the plague nor did he die at that time. Doctors, ministers of the gospel need to be present where there is a problem. If we have a neighbor who's sick, we can help them. That's the advice he gave in that day 500 years ago. Today, a lot of people are freaking out, and I just thought that just before I jump into my sermon, uh, we just look at one or two verses connected to fear. The Bible has a lot to say about fear. Uh, First of all, Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It's very natural for us as humans to be afraid that we're going to die and freak out when something like the coronavirus goes around, but really it exposes that our fear is, uh, ought to really be in God who can ultimately uh, judge us and send us to eternal death. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. The NIV and KJV have, will be safe. If we trust in the Lord, he will keep us alive if it's his will. If it's God's time for us to go, we also don't have to fear, because we know that our faith uh, in him will, his, his love to us, those who believe in him, will preserve us through death and give us eternal life. Finally, Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is with you at this time. God is with me. God is with your family. God will help you. He will strengthen you. He will keep you safe. We need to put our trust and dependence in God some wonderful psalms that you might want to read with your family this week in your family devotions or perhaps by yourself. Psalm 46 is uh, a beautiful psalm 
and Psalm 91 also talk about times of even pestilence that God can protect us. So I'm not going to read those now. Today my topic is get in step with God's timings, join God in His mission. I have been thinking about timing quite a bit recently. It sort of started with Pastor Kurt's sermon several weeks ago when he mentioned that Paul was encouraged just at the right time. He was very, quite discouraged and uh, overwhelmed in his spirit, but when Titus came, he was greatly encouraged. And, and Pastor Kurt said, God knows how to encourage us at just the right time. And then in my own devotions, I was reading through Acts 7, and it said about Abraham that he had been given the promise that he would possess a land. But in his life, he didn't even get an inch of the land. In fact, he had to wait. He, he died, and there were 400 years. And he, God told Abraham, it's quoted from Genesis 15, your descendants are going to go to Egypt, and in the fourth generation, 400 years later, they're going to come and possess the land. My goodness, how would you like to wait 400 years on God's timing? It struck me because in my own life, in my own family's life, we've been going through transition, and we're waiting. We're saying, God, what's your timing? It seems like we've been waiting a long time. So this idea of timing has been on my mind recently. So I decided to dig into it, and I looked up, in fact, uh, hundreds. We're not going to go through hundreds of verses today, so relax. But uh, there's almost seven, 800 times the word time is used in the Bible. I didn't look them all up but I looked up most of the ones in the New Testament, and I found a pattern. I saw that there are actually three kinds of time uh, that God talks about in His Word. You know, timing is a big deal with this coronavirus. I don't know how many times this week the question has come up in my mind, when's this all going to be over? You know, when can we get out of our isolation? And just talking on the phone with my in-laws in Colorado, the same question came up just la last night. When is this going to finish? And you know, there's this magical 15 days. If we all observe our 15 days very well, hopefully we'll flatten the curve and not as many people will get this pandemic. So timing is a huge thing. You know, if we discovered this, if we had discovered this virus a lot earlier, and taken precautions, we may have been able to prevent even more deaths. So timing is a critical thing in our lives. Right now, it's confronting us daily. And I believe it is also, surprisingly, as I read God's Word and prepared, I just saw how much God uses timing in His perfect providence, His administration of world history, and your life and my life. His timing is well-planned. That makes sense. God's pretty smart, and He knows how to do things at the right time. I want us to start off with some two key verses, two key passages, both from Acts, that, that will color all of the comments I say today, because I believe God has an overriding purpose uh, connected to all the times He has. The first passage is in Acts 1. 6 through 8. Let's read that together. Acts 1, 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time 
you are restoring the kingdom to Israel. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The tense used for that word, they, were, they asked him, is actually imperfect in Greek. It has the idea that they kept on asking him. Just sort of like your, your kid as you're going on a trip. Dad, Mom, when are we going to get to our destination just five minutes after leaving home? And they keep on pestering you. When are we going to get to our destination? It's almost that spirit here that was with the disciples, with Jesus Christ. Now he had died, risen from the dead. He's with them. And they thought maybe now Jesus is going to set up his political kingdom. Still that hope of a military, political type of idea of the kingdom was with them. And they kept on asking him, is it now that you're going to set up the kingdom? And uh, Christ's response is very interesting. He says, it's not for you to know times and epochs. Why? Because the Father has put this, fixed them, he's appointed them in his own authority. It's emphasized here, his own authority, in Greek, teidia exousia. Idios is the Greek word which means, which means his own peculiar, or we could say personal, private authority. It's like God has classified information. It's very normal for any government to have classified information. It's been in the news very much recently, hasn't it, with all of the impeachment things and leaking of information which was inappropriate. Governments have secrets, and God, as he governs the universe, the governor of all, he has his secrets, top secret, classified. And what is his classified information? The times that he's going to work establishing the kingdom. It's not for you to know that. The Father has chosen that in his own authority. But, right immediately following that, what does Christ draw the disciples, the apostles' attention to? He says, but you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And we have basically, in verse 8, an outline of the rest of the book of Acts, don't we? You will receive power for what? For evangelism and world missions. Starting in your Jerusalem, that would be our Lynchburg and Virginia, and maybe you could say North Carolina, and then the whole world. That was the priority that God, that Jesus Christ and the Father want us to be involved with. Not all worked up about an exact chronology about times, but instead passionate and empowered by His Spirit to evangelize and do world missions. So we need to quit trying to do God's job and get busy doing the job he's given us to do, which is to share the gospel right where we are and around the world. The next key passage that I'd like us to look at, if you jump to chapter 17 of Acts, I would take these verses 26 and 27 of Acts 17 as a sort of Christian view of history. We're Christians, we believe the Holy Bible, we believe God is sovereign, He is the ruler, He, is the, uh, in, he, he has providence, He controls all things, He's sovereign. 
So how do we view history? Well, I believe here we have the key in these verses. Verse 26 and 27. Let's read those together. And he made from one man every, every of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He made from one man, that is Adam, every race of mankind, every people group, the word every nation is used is in the NASB translation, New American Standard. The Greek word here is ethnos. We have Eli down in Brazil. He's with Ethnos 360. It's the name of a, a mission organization. It comes from the Greek word ethnos, which means a people group based on genealogy, culture, tradition, or it can even be used for political nation. So God's made the Americans, the Indians, the Greek people, the every nation of mankind from one person. We can't be, think that we're extra special. No group is special. We're all part of the human race. And why has he done this? He's determined their times. He's determined their borders. And it uses the word here, appointed. Appointed by God. God is the one who, who says that the United States should start in 1776. That was his date. It was his will that Britain invade India. The colonial era where the European empires went into Africa and Asia and controlled them. That was God's will. As we look back on history, we know that whatever happened was under God's providence. But why? The purpose comes in the very next verse. Why does God appoint times and boundaries? Why does he make one nation strong and push down another nation and make them weak? What's his purpose in all of this? We have a purpose clause. In the very next verse, it says what? That, in order that, they would seek him, seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So I believe the overriding purpose in world history is for people to find God. People to find Jesus Christ. The gospel to be exalted. Certain forces beyond our power to control. Our, our role is to give the gospel, to preach, to teach, to share with our neighbors. But God is pulling the strings to make our witness effective. To make people open to hear what we say. And this coronavirus, if I interpret it through the lens of these verses, I would say God's in control. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew from eternity that we would have this time in history. And why did he plan it? The ultimate purpose is that people would seek him. I think people are thinking a little bit, little bit more about death now, don't you? I think some people are going to start seeking God now. Because pain is the megaphone by which God gets our attention. We need troubles in order to seek God. Unfortunately, when everything's going wonderful, we're well provided for, we tend to go away from God. So I think this is a wake-up call for Christians. We need revival. We always need God in His mercy and grace to get our attention and wake us up and remind us of what's really important. And unbelievers need wake-up calls. They need calls, seek me, come to me. 
They need to be thinking about the ultimate meaning of life. Nothing better than disasters, plagues, viruses, earthquakes, all of these things. God's in control. He's controlling them so that people would seek Him. So you and I have a wonderful opportunity, I believe, in the next few weeks to share the gospel as God opens doors for us. Let's be praying for those and that God will bring many to faith. That's His purpose. That's His purpose in world history. That's why He times everything the way He does. You know, this is world history, but what about your life? What about my life? Let's get at the individual level. We can say, you know, God's controlling history, but, you know, what about my situation? Well, Psalm 31.15 talks about that. David was in trouble, as he often was, his enemies pursuing him. I don't know the exact circumstances he, he was in when he penned Psalm 31, but in verse 15 he says, My times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. David cried out to God in his difficult time, and he believed by faith that his times were in God's hand. Another translation puts it, my destiny is in your hand. God's got your career and your job in your hand. Maybe some of you have difficult circumstances now. Maybe you might lose income. Maybe you're worried about uh, your health bills. Whatever trouble is coming upon you now because of this, God has got your times in His hand. He will help you. And this shows the vital importance of prayer in our lives when difficulties come. That's the time to cry out to God and ask Him to help us and be with us. And He will be with us. He will help us. Luke 12, 6-7, Jesus said, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. If God knows about a sparrow falling, don't you think he's got a plan for your life and my life, even regarding the timing of all of these things? I believe he does. And I believe it gets down even into details. Who you'll meet today, who I'll meet, and what opportunities. We talk about divine appointments. I believe those, those are, are absolutely valid. We need to walk in the Spirit and be sensitive for how God is working in our timing, in our circumstances. I, I met a man when I was in Dallas, Texas, studying for Bible translation. His name was Tom. This is Tom's testimony. He was an 18-year-old, wild, never thought about God, got a nice red sports car. I don't know what it was, a Camaro or a Mustang, something. He was driving along, crazy along one of the highways in California because he was driving very fast. He had a terrible accident. Totally destroyed his car and the other car, and he got lifelong big injury. In fact, when he was speaking, he couldn't control the spit drool coming from his mouth. It was constantly there, and half of his face was like, you know, he couldn't move the muscles properly, slightly paralyzed, and his speech was slurred. You had to listen to him very carefully, and you could understand him, but you really had to focus. And he came to our prayer meeting one time there in Dallas, and he said, I thank God I had that accident when I was 18 years old. Because I had no, I, no thought about God at all in my life. 
But after that accident, he got my attention. And he came to faith in Jesus Christ. That God used that accident in his life to draw him to himself. So Tom was basically saying, my times are in your hand. God allowed that accident in his life to draw him to himself. And it's the same with you and me. The difficulties we have, God's getting our attention. He's saying, trust me, depend on me. I'm going to work something good through it all. God's got your times in his hand. Well, I want to quickly run through the three kinds of times God has. Now I'm into the body of my sermon. The first kind of time that I saw God has are appointed times. Appointed times. We need to get ready for the appointed times. If you think about how to motivate someone in education or our children, we have two approaches, right? We've got the stick and we've got the carrot. The stick is something that drives us. And the carrot is something that attracts us. So I sort of put this as the stick of evangelism and missions. The emphasis of these appointed times of God, they are definite and unavoidable times in world history history and our personal lives. They're coming and God has chosen them and announced them. And there's, he hasn't told us the exact time. The highlight of these times, it shows God's sovereign power and his judgment. Our response is to fear to get ready and to warn. These sort of have a negative feel about them. That's why I use the word stick. They have a negative feel, especially if we are unbelievers, especially if we uh, are cold in our faith. But the warmer we get in our faith, the closer we walk with God, it becomes a positive thing. So the three things here I've listed, there's an outline, it may have been posted on Facebook, I'm not sure. If it's there, there are three appointed days that are coming in our lives. First of all is our depth, second is Christ's coming, and third is judgment. The word appointed is used for all of these times that God has chosen. They're going to come, I'm not going to tell you exactly when they're going to come, and he's got a reason not to tell us. It's obvious, right? Why hasn't he told us when they're going to come? Because he wants us to get ready, it might even be today, it might be tomorrow. If he told us it's going to be in 2050, we'd all just live evil lives. We wouldn't get ready, and then suddenly the night before, we'd all start trying to get ready. That's what you college students do, right? When you have a test and some assignment. I know, I was there once, and I see it in my kids now. Yeah, you know, oh, the first week of the semester, you sort of take it easy, you know, nothing's due. And uh, you pay for that when it comes to fourth, fourth week and you just took it easy on the first and second week. Whoa, why didn't I study hard right from the very beginning? And all those assignments pile up and you got to do all-nighters and can't even get some sleep. Well, God in his mercy and grace doesn't want, we can't pull all-nighters. <laughs> we, we, we're not going to have time to get ready when it's right at the end. And in his mercy and grace, he is hidden from us the exact time. Our death. I don't know when I'm going to die. My friend who was the best man in my wedding, same age as my, me, uh, we just heard this last year that he died in the Delhi airport. He went into, he got a room between flights and uh, they found his dead body. It reminded me, hey, I could go right now. <laughs> I need to be ready. Uh, you know, but for those of us who have faith, this doesn't have to be a negative thing, is it? It's a glorious thing. Paul even looked forward to his death. He said, I would rather go and be with the Lord. But for your good, I know I need to stay to minister to you. 
So when we're full of faith, we can be ready even for these appointed times of depth. So, you know, uh, Ecclesiastes 8.8, it puts it this way. No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. And there is no discharge in the time of war and evil will not deliver those who practice it. There's no way you can control the day of your depth. It's going to come. We, we should take uh, pro- proper precautions and not test God and not be foolish. But ultimately, God has determined the day of depth. You can't change it. Hebrews 9.27 And inasmuch as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this comes judgment. Now, I'm glad it says it's appointed unto man once to die. The context of this verse in Hebrews is actually that Christ has, has died only one time in history. Once for all, his one death covers for all of history. He doesn't have to die multiple times. The priests in the Old Testament had to go every year into the Holy of Holies and offer blood on, in the Holy of Holies many times. But Christ has appeared one time to put away sin forever. In the same way, we only die one time. In India, where Hinduism is practiced, you have this idea of reincarnation. And they die multiple times. And that is viewed as a terrible thing. It's because you want to get out of this cycle of suffering and you want to merge into nirvana. And, but unfortunately, you're cursed to keep living multiple times until finally you can escape and stop dying anymore. So praise God, we only have to die one time. We don't have to die multiple times. It's one time appointed to us to die. Are you ready for your death? That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be ready. The second appointed day is Christ's coming. Let's jump to Matthew 24 and read verses 36 to 39. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Just like the coronavirus scare. Uh, it's magnified and it's, it's, people are freaked out because it sort of came upon us all of a sudden, didn't it? We didn't know it was coming. And Noah's flood was like that. It just came suddenly. Even though Noah warned them, no one paid attention. We may give the gospel out to people. Some people are not going to pay attention. And when Christ finally comes, oh, it's just going to overwhelm them unpredictably. And uh, the coronavirus is a very mild thing, really, compared to what's coming. Just think of all the plagues that are, that are uh, all the terrible things prophesied in the book of Revelation in the last days. This is just really a gracious, merciful practice for what's coming. It's good for us to get ready for what's coming. And uh, Lord willing, as we just had some light talk before we started today, Pastor was reminding us that we're not going to be here at that terrible time. Christ is going to grab us out, we believe, in the, at the time of the rapture. But this world is headed for some terrible times. Matthew 24, verse, skip down to verse 42 of 24. Therefore, be on the alert. That's how we should get ready. Christ may come anytime. 
And there are two phases, as I just mentioned. There's the rapture, and then there's the day when Christ will come in great power and glory. So we need to be ready. For you do not know which day the Lord is coming. Be sure, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night or at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. <clears throat> for this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. What does it mean to wait and be alert and ready? Should we stand near the door idly waiting like a dog does when, or a cat when they're waiting for their master to return from work and they're just sitting there waiting? Not like that. It means we're busy about doing what God has us to do. It means we're faithfully stewarding the opportunities he's given us to share the gospel, to reach others, to give to his ministry, to serve others in any way we can, to do the work he has us to do. That's how he wants to find us when he arrives. The final appointed time is the time of judgment. And uh, let's go back to Acts 17, but this time to verse 30 and 31 of Acts 17. We've already been in Acts 17. Further along, near the conclusion of Paul's sermon there on Mars Hill in Athens, he concludes near the end with these verses, verse 30 and 31, Acts 17. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, those times before Christ came to this earth, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof of, to all men by raising him from the dead. So we're, here we have a day that is fixed. It's the day of judgment that God has appointed. He only knows when that's going to be. But he's also fixed to judge. Jesus Christ is the appointed judge. And he will judge on that day. Those are the appointed times. There's nothing you or I or any power on earth can do to change it. God in his sovereign power is going to judge and nothing's going to change it. They will happen. 100% guarantee. You and I need to fear. Have godly fear. Fear, in fact, is a synonym for faith in the Old Testament. To have fear of God was to have faith. There's a good type of fear. There's a bad type of fear. You and I must have the good type of fear. And we must get ready. We must warn those around us. Let's go on to the second type of time that God has. These are the appropriate times, the proper times, or the fullness of time is a, a very common word that's used in the Bible, the fullness of time, the appropriate time. I would like to illustrate this with a little uh, example. My wife likes to have tea every morning, every day, in fact, several times sometimes, just like I'm a coffee man. So since we lived in India a long time, we like it the Indian way, chai, we call it, okay? So, you don't have to go to Starbucks and buy it for five bucks, okay? Just come to our house. I'll be happy to make you some Indian chai. Okay, so the way you do it, it's quite a procedure. You start with water on the stove, and you've got to put in ginger and cinnamon and any other spice you want. You know, there's many varieties of chai. 
So you got to get all that in there, get it boiling, and just when it comes to boiling, you need to add the tea leaves. Uh, and just let it boil for a few, uh, few, maybe 15 seconds. Then you add milk, about the same proportion, and sugar, and then let it boil again now, and then take it off. Once it comes to a boil, take it off. Let it steep for about a minute. Then get a strainer, pour it in a cup, and then call my wife. It's ready. I, I went through a procedure. If I call her too early, the tea's not going to be ready. If I call her too late, the tea's going to be cold. So there's a, a process of preparation to get the tea just right. And that's true with food, isn't it? That's true with many things in life. Uh, it's true with driving. We have an appropriate time for people to drive. If you come to India, where we were in crowded Delhi, we see 10-year-old boys with a cell phone riding a motorbike in and weaving in, and that's an inappropriate time to be driving, let me tell you that. It's crazy. Or, you know, a granny who can hardly see above the wheel, you see sometimes in the United States, who can hardly see uh, through the, the, you know, the, the, the windshield, and she's driving, and she said, I don't want to get anywhere near that granny. So that's also an inappropriate time. But God has ordered history, the history of salvation, in such a way that he got everything ready, and at just the right time, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Most of these appropriate times have to do with Jesus and his, in first his coming to this earth, his first coming. They're mostly clustered around that. So the first reference I have, the, the emphasis here is perfectly timed events that fulfill prophecy and God's salvation plan. The highlight here is God's wisdom in doing things at just the right time when the situation is mature. And what's the response that you and I ought to have? We ought to trust God in our personal lives and say, you know, He's God. He knows exactly the right time for you and me in our lives too. And when we're ready for something, He's got it perfectly figured out. So we can safely trust in His wisdom. Not only is He powerful, that's what we learned with the appointed times, nothing can stop Him. He's also wise. That's what we learned from these times. And so we should worship Him. We should trust Him implicitly without doubting. And uh, Luke one twenty is the first verse I'd like us to look at in reference to this. If you turn to Luke one twenty, and behold, this is to Zechariah. When he's in the temple and he and his wife Elizabeth had been praying for a child and Elizabeth was barren, even though they're quite old, and an angel, I think it was Gabriel, appeared to him there in the temple. And this is a verse from that. Luke 1.20 And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Here's one of the occurrences of that. And it's a good illustration in a very personal way in one man's life, Zachariah. He couldn't speak after that. He wasn't even able to speak to the worshipers outside the temple. And for more than nine months while his wife was pregnant with John the Baptist, he couldn't speak. And then when did his mouth open suddenly? <laughs> it was when all the guests were probably in his home. They were naming their son. I believe on the eighth day they circumcised. And maybe around that time they also named their uh, children. That's very common in India too. You never name a child when they're born. 
they often named them much later. And so in the Jewish tradition, I guess they named them uh, about the eighth day or so. So all the guests are in his house, and suddenly when they ask what should we name him, suddenly God opens his mouth. Just think of the response of all those people that, ooh, ah, my goodness. It's like all the fireworks going off at the end of the fireworks display and everyone goes, ooh, ah, it's like a climax. It's like a perfectly timed thing to dramatize and make things like fantastic. And so all the people thought, whoa, John the Baptist is really going to be something special. And uh, he, he was the forerunner for Jesus Christ. So it got everyone's attention. Because God timed his muteness, his inability to speak, and he timed the time when he could speak just right to, to, to emphasize it, to get everyone's attention. And that's what he does. He's very good at that. And uh, he did that also in the life of Jesus Christ, mostly. So when we come to Galatians 4, 1 through 5, this is a very famous passage. <clears throat> Let's read this together, Galatians 4, 1 through 5. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not defer at all from the slave, although he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time, that's the expression here of the appropriate time, the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. A very important passage. When, did Christ, when was Christ born to Mary? He was born of a woman. That emphasizes his humanity. He's a human. I was born of a woman too. You were too. We were all born of women. So it means we're all humans. And he was the pre-incarnate Son of God, because it says he sent forth his Son. So we see here both the deity and the humanity of Christ perfectly displayed, but his humanity became evident at just the right time. God hasn't told us the reasons why he acts as he does at different times. Many of those are mysteries. We'll find them out when we get to heaven Sometimes he puts clues in his word why he may have done things at certain times. And there are definitely very strong clues in this passage, which we'll talk about very briefly. And sometimes we can study history and make a theory. It may be true, it may not be. By studying history, we can figure out why God probably did it at that time. But here in this passage, what are the clues as to why God sent Jesus when he did? Well, the whole purpose of Galatians is is saying, you're not saved by law, you're saved by grace. And, and the law was preparation for grace. We needed the law first. Why? To convict us. We're sinners. We needed the standard. Hey, you've all blown it. We need the bad news before we get the good news. People aren't ready to be saved or to hear that their sins can be forgiven until they first believe they're sinners. And that's why Christ came after the law of Moses. That's the argument, basically. The law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We needed the law first. Humanity as a whole needed the law to teach us there's a standard and we've blown it. We need a Savior. And so God sent Jesus after the law. We were like children under the law. 
And when we become adults, now we're ready for grace. Now we're ready for uh, God's salvation. So God does everything at the perfect time, even His Son. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 6, because of time, I'm going <clears> to <throat> skip some of these verses. You can look them up later. This is a, a perfect verse talking about Christ also and how He died at the perfect time in history, the proper time, and it's God's will for all to be saved, none to perish. Mark 1, 14 and 15, and Romans 5, 6, you can look these up later if you'd like. They all use these words of fullness of time or perfect time, proper time. Everything God did through Jesus Christ was at the perfect and proper time. Let's move on quickly to the third type of time. These are the acceptable times. And God wants us to grab these. Grab them while they're, it's available. It's an opportunity and it's not going to last. It's the carrot. It's the beauty of God's grace and love that are highlighted here. The emphasis is a unique time when God demonstrates His grace and favor. It's a lucky break. It's better than any previous age. It's not going to last a long time. There's just a limited time. Pastor spoke through this recently, a few weeks ago, as he's been going through 2 Corinthians. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 6, 2 briefly again. For he says, at the acceptable time, in Greek, the chirodecto, the word Greek, in Greek is decto for the acceptable. At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable, the very uh, acceptable, almost you could translate time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is the time of God's favor. It's the time of salvation. It's the era of God that God has, has that his salvation has now arrived. Why would Paul speak like this? If you get the context in chapter 5... It says in verses 14 and 15 that Christ died for all. We have been made ambassadors. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation because Christ died for us. We also died and this wonderful news we're to give to all people. We've been made fellow workers with, with Paul and the acceptable time is now ever since Jesus' ministry. Since he came to this earth, he died for us. Now we're in the acceptable time. It's a lucky time. It's a wonderful time. Not luck because God gave it, but it's a, a time of favor when God is open to you and me approaching Him and getting salvation. Why? Because He's made provision in His grace. He says, come, come now. If you're hungry, I'll give you food. Whoever's thirsty, come to the water of life. He's calling to the nations, come. It's the acceptable time because the sacrifice has been given. His favor is extended to the nations, to you and me, to all who will believe. It's an acceptable time. It wasn't always that way before Christ came. The nations were far away from God. We, as Paul says in Ephesians, we were, we were far removed without hope in this world. But God, through Christ, has brought us close and now is an acceptable time. This same thought comes in Luke 4, 18 through 19. Christ is in Nazareth. He's reading from the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. And he, this is verses 18 and 19 of Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed 
to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. The favorable year of the Lord. This is probably a reference to the year of Jubilee. Leviticus 25, 8-17 talks about the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, every 49 years, they were to, to announce a year of Jubilee. And what happened in this year of Jubilee? All debts were forgiven. People got their house back again, their property back again. It was a great time of grace and relief for the poor and the needy. It was a year of celebration. That's what Christ's life has done for the world. It's not just one year of Jubilee, it's a period of Jubilee. We're in that period now where we can have wonderful salvation. It's an acceptable time. It's better than winning the lottery. Grab it. Grab it while you can. Because it's coming to an end soon. It's a wonderful opportunity. Get it. If you haven't put your trust in Christ, do it. If your neighbor hasn't, share the gospel with them. Tell them about this wonderful opportunity. That's the idea of this acceptable time. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. God's gift is right here. Imagine if I had a million dollars and I said, whoever comes up here first is going to get it. You'd all run. Well, that's ten times, a million times better with what God is offering to the world. Look, I've got this wonderful thing for you. Come and get it. Oh, this is the acceptable time, my friends. Finally, before I... Uh, I, I just want, I, I'm going to share at the end today of three groups that I'd like you to pray for in our missionary work. But before that, I want to look briefly at this topic of, of God's delay. In God's timing, it, it seems like He's slow. It seems like He's delaying. That's a common response. Have you ever met anyone who said, Oh, God goes really fast. Oh, God just works really quickly. I suppose the only time anyone would say that is when God's judgment is right, coming on you right, and you're in the middle of it. Maybe you think it's too fast. But most of us think God is slow. And when's it going to come about? My goodness, God is slow. But uh, yeah, that's a common theme that seems to be throughout Scripture many times. You know, delay allows both Here's the, the reason, I believe, as I study the scriptures, the emphasis of God's delay passages. Delay allows both wickedness and fate to mature and also extends the opportunity for more to repent and believe, but only for a little longer. Delay, God he has this salvation, but he's wanting to give a little more time for people to get it. And he's warning people, the day of judgment's coming. And he's wanting to give a little more time for people to repent. So he's got his purposes for his delay. He's extending the opportunity. And uh, I saw three purposes here. It, it highlights God's mercy and justice. The first purpose is, you know, his delay in judging. It highlights his justice. In Genesis 15, 16, speaking to Abraham about the 400 years delay in the people going to uh, the land of Canaan to get it as a promised inheritance. Then in the fourth generation, they, the people of Israel, will return here to Canaan for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And if you take the time to study it out in the rest of the law, you'll see all the sins that are listed there in, in Canaan and the human sacrifice, the immorality, bestiality, homosexuality, 
adultery, and all sorts of terrible sins. And it's because of those sins that I'm driving out the nations, God says. It's not because of your righteousness, Israel. It's because of their sins. So God waited 400 years. And in that time, their wickedness got more. And then God's justice is exalted. Yes, they needed to be judged. They needed to be judged. That's the way it's going to get at the end of the world. We look out at the world, it's wicked. Wickedness is going to increase to where all of creation, all of the universe is going to look at God's justice when it comes down in judgment and they're going to say, holy, holy, holy. God is just, God is righteous in judging the great prostitute which corrupted the earth with a wickedness. God is just in judging the beast and Satan and all of the workers of iniquity. He is righteous and just. He delayed his judgment, giving them opportunity. They still didn't repent. Their wickedness has increased. And uh, that's one reason God delays his justice. Revelation 2.2, I gave her time to repent, but she didn't. Jezebel in Thyatira. A second reason is... God gives believers opportunity for their faith to mature and to give Him more glory, to come to full maturity. Uh, there are so many passages throughout Scripture talking about waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. It's another synonym of faith. I told you fear is a synonym of faith. Wait on the Lord is also another uh, word for faith, belief, in the Old Testament especially. We also find it in the New Testament we have these trials. Look, let's look at James 1, 2-4 quickly. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, patience, perseverance, stick to and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if we go to chapter 5, verse 7 of James, Therefore, be patient, endure, persevere, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. God has delayed His coming so that our faith may be more mature, that patience and endurance may bring us to, to perfection, that we will be refined and we will give Him more glory, I believe, through the delay. And a third reason that excites me as a missionary, why does God delay? Let's look, as we almost near an end now, of this sermon. Let's, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 8 through 12. 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. So here we have a very interesting passage which, which contrasts God's timetable with ours. It's very different. A thousand years with Him is like a day. You know, what, what seems like a thousand years with us is just one day with Him. So His time schedule is very different and He gives a purpose, Peter here, for God's delay. What is it? 
He's giving people an opportunity to repent because he doesn't want any to perish. God is not bringing the appointed days because he enjoys judging people. He's bringing those days and declaring it to us because he wants us to be afraid and run to him. He's warning us so that we'll avoid the appointed days. He wants us to be ready. That's why he's announcing them to the whole world. That's why he sent his holy prophets. That's why he gives pastors. That's why we're to witness, we're to warn people so that they can avoid God's judgment. That's his heart. His heart is not to judge. His heart is to save. It connects to that purpose which I said all of God's timings are connected to his grand purpose that people would seek him and find him. He wants people to be saved. He wants missions to extend to the four corners of the earth. A very interesting verse of scripture for me is Matthew 24, 14. It's the Olivet Discourse when Christ is speaking about the end of the age. And snuggle right there in the middle is this verse. Verse 14 of Matthew 24. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. If you contrast that with a verse just about five, six verses previously, it said there'll be earthquakes, blah, 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 pestilences, but the end will not yet come. That's just the beginning of birth pangs. But when this gospel has gone throughout the whole earth, then the end will come. Could it be that the end has not yet come, Christ has not yet returned to the earth, because the gospel has not yet gone to the last tribe? There's some tribes in Amazon right now. There's some tribes in India. We had recently, Dr. Korn showed that uh, video of the people groups around the world and the unengaged, unreached. Could it be God is delaying Christ's coming until every last tribe, people group, language, nation is reached? I don't know, but it could be. It's a mystery. Certainly the principles are there. God is delaying because he wants more to be reached. As I read Revelation 5 verse 9 is the final verse I'm sharing with you today. By the way, I forgot to talk about this word hasten in 2 Peter. It says we look for his coming and we hasten it. Hasten is a very interesting word. I studied it quite a bit because it, it's unusual. Does, can we actually make Christ come faster? The Greek word here is spudazo. As a transitive verb, it means to cause something to happen or come into being by exercising special effort, hastening it. In uh, civics, a civic excellence in the Greek-Roman world was to be very interested in discharging an obligation, doing our civic duty, being zealous, exerting ourselves, being industrious, as President Trump is now, or Mike Pence, or our leaders are working very hard to avert as much disaster as possible. They're not sleeping very much at night. They're working hard. So that's the attitude. We, we work very hard with this verb. That's the idea of hastening. So something will come faster. So you and I, as we're energetic, according to God's sovereign will and desire, working together with him, perhaps it could be his coming will come a little faster because of our efforts. It's something we long for. We want Christ to come back, don't you? I do. Let's work hard and hasten his coming. 
So final, final verse, Revelation 5, 9. This is the scene before the Lamb. They're all worshiping the Lamb who has opened the scrolls, the seal judgments. And they sang a new song in heaven saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So amazing here how we have a very comprehensive description of all of the, of the universality of God's salvation, how far it reaches. It reaches every tribe. The Greek word here is phuleis. It's a genealogical type of word. It's to do with bloodline, a, a, a subgroup of humanity that is connected by blood. It's a tribe. Then there's the word for language, glosses. It's a language group. It's a linguistic classification. Every tongue, every language, every linguistic group needs to be reached with the gospel. And then we have the word Lao, Lao, Laos, which is a socio-political group, uh, a larger group than a tribe. Uh, people that have a common identity, they're a large group of people in politics, perhaps, or in society. And then the final word is the word ethnos we've come across, and this is translated nation. It's a cultural group who are connected by history and traditions and culture. So all of these words are used here, and this is what goes into that definition of people group in missions. Some of these ways of looking at humanity. God wants us to penetrate all of these kinds of groups. His will is for every language group to be reached, every tribe, every uh, grouping of humanity. That's how we need to finish the task, push on to completion. So as we conclude, we need to get in step with God's timing. We need to get ready, get ready for the appointed times. We need to worship Him for the appropriate times in history. And we need to grab the opportunity we have of the accepted times. We need to wait for His coming by being busy and by hastening His coming. Let's pray that we join God in His mission. His mission is to reach the world and save as many that people will seek Him. That's how He controls the timings of the world.